So as you know, this uh, time of our church season in the fall, we have been working through our sermon series and also our, um, like our fall series for our church. We've been looking at different letters in the New Testament. This week, we're looking at Colossians. If you're a part of that Word of the Lord grows study, um, you've just been found as we go through that each of these letters has something unique and rich and deep to show us about who our Lord Jesus is and what he calls us to. If you don't yet have one of those books and you're a couple weeks behind, don't worry. We've still got plenty of them in the back. You can grab it on your way out. It's great. You can do it either for yourself and just kind of read through it. You can also do it with your family. You can get a friends together. It's just good to be in God's word. And the whole purposes of that is to spend time actually reading the breadth of scripture, not just little pieces like we do here in church when we unpack them, but to read the entire letter. Now, this is coming from Colossians chapter one, as we look at two different pieces of scripture from Colossians today in our service. And the first is here from verses 15 to 20, I think I'll do. I know it's 23 in your bulletin, but I'm going to stop at 20 for, for us today. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Talking about Jesus. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And I love this verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so then everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, keep those scriptures in the back of your mind. Keep your bulletin open because they're going to be referring to them. But first, I want to tell you, so in my house, we do a lot of painting. And we're not painting the outside of the house. We're not painting the walls of the house. But I'm talking about the painting of masterpieces. Not masterpieces that hang in the Getty or in the... Has anyone been to the, the Hilbert Art Chapman Museum that's just over there? It's a great time. you got to go. Now, they may not hang there, but these, these masterpiece paintings have a beauty all of their own. See, my three-year-old, she can crank out artwork faster than any human being should. And the kind of painting that she specializes in with the partition of mom or dad or sister is, is very special, very unique. It has um, an interesting technique that really not many of us can master. See, she isn't limited by just a brush. She can use a paper towel, use her fingers. She can use a cattail. It really doesn't matter. Anything within reach, she can paint with. But I'm not talking about the materials per se. It's her color choices that she uses. Now, she's three. And she has mastered the mixing of colors. But it's not what you would expect. I look around and see a lot of smart people. Red with blue makes very good. Yellow with red makes. Yep, that's right. Very good. Blue with yellow makes very good. But here's where it gets a little crazy. See, I know that. And I have created maybe a very beautiful triangle. Or if I'm, you know, really trying to expand it, a trapezoid. But either way, the lines are very straight, and my colors, beautifully mixed, are complementary, and they really work at creating a nice picture. But then Milcaso, which is what I call my daughter, she will mix all of those colors together. 
not just red and blue, but yellow and red and blue and green and purple. She mixes all of it together, and then she somehow covers the entire page and a little bit of the table to create this beautiful, one-of-a-kind mess, or you might call it a masterpiece. Now, you're all very good at knowing the colors, but do you know what color you actually get when you mix all of them together? Wrong. You get fridge-worthy. Fridge-worthy is a color that somehow really ties our kitchen together and is just put up for everyone to see. Now, I tell you all of that, not so that you can buy Milcaso's paintings for $7.90, $12, which through negotiation can come down to just a crisp high five, but because sometimes there is beauty when we mix things that have no business of being mixed together. And in the section of scripture that follows that piece that we already read today, the Apostle Paul, surprisingly and very out of character, mixes his metaphors together. Here's what I'm talking about. This is Colossians 2, 6 through 7. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, if you have the newer NIV, which is what this slide is and is also there in your bulletin, it says continue to live your lives in him. But if you have the old NIV, the 84 NIV, some would even call it the pure NIV, you know that that was translated first as continue to walk in him. So I'm going to use walk in him because that's the way I memorized it as a youth and so many people have received it as a confirmation verse. It just feels wrong to change it on them. And yes, if you were to go back to the Greek, because remember all English translations of the Bible are come from the Greek and someone is deciding what words to be used, walk is acceptable. So this is what I would like to use when we teach today. Much better, right? You already feel better. Look, you're smiling. So here it is. Let's dive in. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Remember when Galatians, when Paul told us, we cannot, or he told them, you can't perfect in the flesh what was given to you and begun in the spirit. What you received, what you were given in your baptism does not then get made complete or finished and is done if you then behave. What you received from Christ Jesus in that moment, your salvation, everything is done. At the cross, you and I were made right with God, and we received that gift through baptism. Through his grace, we were made right with God. We received the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, and so Paul says, continue to walk in that. He's saying, you don't need to earn anything for your salvation. You're already loved by God. You don't need to become good enough because in Christ Jesus, you received what you needed to be made whole. And if you're pondering, I received Christ Jesus in my baptism by grace through the power of the word, was what does Paul mean then when he says, in the faith as you were taught? And that answer is not difficult. At the beginning, we read that Jesus Christ is the image of God, meaning that when we see Christ, as he is shown and revealed to us in God's word, in scripture, it is the same as if we see God himself. When it says that Jesus is before all things, that nothing came to be or can be without him, that he holds everything together, that Jesus is in charge, that he is aware, that he sees us and he knows us, and that whatever is overwhelming, whatever seems too much, it's not you who hold it together. It's him who holds it all together and is holding you. 
It's right there in your bulletin. It says he is the head of the body. He is the source of your life. Because not only did he create it, Paul says at the cross he redeemed it. And by his spirit, he now sanctifies it. That what you have received in Jesus, a life that has been redeemed and is now every day being more, made more and more like him, is what you have been taught and shown. Paul is stating that all of us have received and are being continually taught. Not complex things, but things that we can walk in. Things that define us and make us who we are. Things that are from the source that is Jesus Christ. But that's when these mixed metaphors start to play. If we received everything in our baptism, then how are we being strengthened? And where does this teaching then take place? Because I got baptized as a baby. What would your answer be to someone? Where does the teaching and the strengthening of your faith happen? The Colossians, they believed it had to be given in a very mysterious way. That there was this deep thing out there that you had to somehow understand, a secret knowledge that was probably outside of the normal persons. But if you hung out over here, you could be given it. But it is the simple things of the Christian life that provide continual and reliable spiritual uh, fuel for growth. And it's the simple things, I think, of worship that are rooted and built in that. See, that's where we come to do these things and to learn them in worship. I hope you realize that not every age of the disciples of Jesus could read the word on their own. They didn't have access to their own Bibles. And not every age of disciples of Jesus had a podcast or a verse of the day sent to them on a smartphone. But every age, from the very first disciples to even those who before weren't yet Christians but worshipped God because he promised the Messiah, came to worship. And today, if you were to Google, what should a Christian do? It's crazy. You will see a lot of things that require you to do something. It'll say, Christians should love, Christians should serve, Christians should pray, Christians should read the Bible, they should be patient, they should have a testimony. And yeah, you should, but you have to go pretty far on that list until you find Christians should worship. The act of coming together to show love and adoration to God in our time for Christians apparently has become a, if you can, not a must. And maybe you share that sentiment because you're thinking, when you come to church, you're like, why are we doing this? Have you ever done that? Ask yourself, why are we saying this whole, have mercy on me, a sinner? Why are we praying all of these names? They're rather long. Why are we singing this song? Why is this person talking about that verse and not another verse? Why am I eating this tiny wafer? Why am I even here? But in worship, in worship we learn of God as we speak and do what he has commanded us to. Look at how we start worship with that invocation, the calling on the name of God. We do that because that is what you have received, a name into a family. And the invocation then isn't supposed to just be spoken here in worship. In Romans 12, Paul calls you to 
offer your lives, your living lives, your everyday moving about as a living sacrifice, as a worship, as an act of worship. Which means that that invocation that you hear and learn and do in worship really should be spoken over yourself every single day because it's who you belong to. Confession and absolution, why do we say it each week that we are sinners? You may be thinking, that's not very positive. Besides, I thought we were forgiven at the cross. Why am I confessing these sins then? Because you're still sinning and because you need to. Because when we don't confess our sins, Scripture tells us that they eat away at us. Guilt and shame weighing on us if we don't bring them to God. But when we confess, we are forgiven. My child knows that I love her, but I tell her multiple days so that she knows and remembers. Because confessing our sins and hearing that we are forgiven isn't just words being spoken to us, but we are learning and receiving truths that have been directed and commanded by Jesus to speak to one another. When we confess our faith in the Apostles' Creed and we say the Lord's Prayer, these are the words of who we are to be as people. That prayer that we speak is the one time Jesus told you exactly what to say when you pray to God. So we should pray it often. And the creed where we confess exactly what we believe, people died for it so that we would know the truth of how God has revealed himself and who we are. Why do we sing songs and praise God? Because, like we said, he's worthy of our praise. And when we come to worship to do it, we remind ourselves in that moment that he is God. We are not. We're not singing songs about how great we are, but about how great he is. We sing because the scripture tells us if we didn't get up and praise God, then the stones will. And I'm not, allowed, I'm, I'm not about to live in a world where rocks are singing louder for Jesus no matter how bad I sing. It's just not going to work that way. Why do we read the word and then explain it? Why not just preach on a really cool idea? Because the word is the truth. And we read it and hear it so that the voice of God is spoken regularly to us. So that we can know his voice and become what he says. Why do we give an offering? So we don't rely on our finances as the most strong backing that we have. Or the thing that we trust the most. Why do we take communion? Because in communion, Christ is received spiritually and physically for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. Why do we still do baptisms in church? So that we can be reminded that the baptized believer is becoming a part of our family, a family that we belong to, that they are receiving from Jesus everything that we have received, and that all of us are created and born again in that baptism and are sustained by the grace and mercy of God our Father. Why do we end service with a blessing? Because he told Aaron, God did, way back during that exodus, to speak these words over the people so that they would know who they belong to. These things that we have received and then participate in worship are a blessing and a gift from God himself to us. God gave them, created them, and when you know this and believe this and cling to this, 
Worship isn't something that you go to when you can. It becomes the need. It becomes a thing that is where we find ourselves rooted and built in Christ Jesus to receive his gifts that he has promised to give here at the table and in worship. It fills what is missing in our lives, strengthens and teaches us. And in a beautiful way, all of these things get thrown and mixed together to become something more. On their own, they add value. Just like when we read scripture in church, we should read it at home. We pray in church, we should pray at home. But here in worship, they all come together to make a beautiful, purposeful painting that God has created so that we could experience it and be strengthened. So Paul is telling us that you have received all that. It's been delivered to you to live and follow in him so that you can have a safeguard, a way of, of being different than what is being done around you. And you need to hear that and have it spoken over you. Because if you look at the ways of this age and the things that are valued in today's society, they stand completely opposite of the things that you do in worship. That's why those teachings and the traditions have been passed down from the beginning as a way of worshiping God. Because your walk and the way you live is markedly different from people who don't know Jesus, from people who have not yet received what you have received. And if Paul would have just stopped there, we'd get what we usually get from Paul, a very clear message and one metaphor, a wonderful gift. This is worship and be strengthened. Each aspect of it comes together in a beautiful picture that you get for one hour, one hour 15 a week. But the truth is, the painting doesn't just happen in worship, but happens all the time. And outside of these doors, paintings can get very messy. The Colossians were all sorts of messed up, like I talked about. They thought that Christ was the first step. That was it. And once you had him, once you had received him, then you were on your own and you walk your own way. Hold certain festivals, find some angel beings, they'll help you, worship them too. Keep working and you will get better. You will ascend on your own. That what you first got is for babies. You can do better. But Paul meets them in their mess. And he says to them that that whole mentality of I can take it from here, Jesus, I'm good, is wrong. So he comes down to where they are at and combines metaphors that on the surface in no way, shape, or form should be included together. He tells them you need to walk rooted and built up in Christ. That what they have received it's now put on the fridge for everyone to see. You need to be walking, that means moving, but at the same time rooted like a tree, which doesn't move, and to be built up like a building, which doesn't have roots or move. Two stationary things that are very strong, but must move and walk. Oh, and also overflow like a fountain with thankfulness. Now I taught sixth grade literature for almost three years, so I know all there is to know about writing sixth grade papers. 
And I can tell you, you don't get to mix metaphors. You choose one. So Paul needs to redo this. But he doesn't because he's mixed his metaphors and he's taken all of those colors and what we receive and he mixes it and says, even if it gets really messy, he offers a very clear message. There's multiple metaphors here, but we all understand exactly what he's saying. He's saying, be established. Know who you are and whose you are and keep growing. Be established and keep growing. And that's exactly what we need to hear today, that in Christ Jesus and in him alone, we are established and made strong, that there is truth in this world, that there is truth for who God is and who we are, that there is truth for why we are here, and there is truth for what we should be doing while we are here, that there is hope, that there is mercy, that there is grace in all of life's messiness. And in Christ Jesus, we are not apart from God, but rather by his blood connected. So keep growing even as you have been established. And then you find that all of the pieces of worship start to spill over into your lives, that we use whatever we can in that messy painting called life. And sometimes, friends, the colors don't match, especially when it's hard. And when it seems like everything is just one big mistake. But in the messiness of all things, the promises of Jesus shine clear. It's in that messiness that you will find that you have reached the point where you can't do it anymore. And when you're ready to surrender, the voice of the Father says, I'm here as I have always been. I see you, I know you. My child, you are mine. That sin, that guilt, that shame, my mercy covers that. My forgiveness removes that. My love is what will build your life up instead of letting it be torn down by the negativity and the wrong. It's in the surrendering of control where you find the peace that passes human understanding. And even if it seems messy to Jesus, he has a way of holding it all together because at the heart of everything you have received, at the heart of all of the messiness of life is the Father's love for you and Jesus. And friends, in love, he says you get to walk in that. He takes you by the hand. He started your walk. And when he calls you home, he will be the one who holds your hand right to him. In love, he roots himself to you and refuses to let go of you. No matter how parched you become, he gently picks you up and plants you into the good soil. Gives you living water. Doesn't tire of working around that soil, getting his hands in the mud. And in love, every day encourages. And look where he's placed you today in worship. The St. Peter said you are a living stone placed next to other living stones to cry out praises to God so that as you walk and as that picture of your life gets covered in a whole bunch of different colors, you know who you are and you know whose you are. And for that, we thank him and we give him praise.